Amen. Thanks for coming and joining us. I hope this service is a, uh, a blessing to you. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Pray Like This. We are looking at the Lord's Prayer, and uh, my goal is to kind of look at this very, very familiar text and uh, maybe allow it to surprise us, um, but definitely uh, invite us into a, a new experience of prayer. So let's grab our Bibles and head over to Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you. In our Bibles, we're going over to page 811, 811, Matthew chapter 6. While you're flipping over there, um, I want to talk a little bit about an interesting chapter in Israel's history. So there came a point where Israel was brought right up to the edge of the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Literally, there was a river between them and the promised land, and uh, they had just been delivered out of Egypt. God had miraculously delivered them from their slavery. He had brought them all the way on this long journey. They had, they had been at the foot of, of Mount Sinai, where they entered into a covenant with God, and there was thunder and lightning and, and fire on top of the mountain. And uh, they get to the edge of the promised land, and they, and they send some spies into the land, and, and the spies come back, and they're like, yeah, we don't know. You know, there's some big guys over there. Make us a little nervous. There, there, there are some giants in the land. And the people were like, oh, giants. We don't want giants. We can't go. We can't go. God's like, what? Really? All right. You don't go. You're going to wander around in, in the desert for 40 years while this generation of people die off because you don't want to go in, and I'll take your kids in, right? So and that's kind of what happened. Um, but there's something that really cool that happened. While they were wandering around for 40 years, God uh, still took care of them right? They, they didn't have enough faith to cross the river into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Um, and so God took care of them. Every morning He fed them. Every morning there was this thing that came down from heaven called manna, uh, and it would gather like dew on the grass, and they would go out every morning and they would gather it. Um, and, and some miraculous food, we don't really know what it is. There's some descriptions of it, um, but uh, we do know that, that they would get it and they would, they would form it into different forms of food, like wafers that they would bake into uh, these things that were like honey cakes. That's one of the ways it's described. You know, something that just was sweet and, 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 and very life-giving. And, and, um, and they got it every single day, right? It came down every single morning. And they would go out every single morning and they would collect the manna. And, and then they would make it, right? And, uh, and God's like, there's one rule to this thing. You don't get to keep more than you need for the day. Right? You get your daily manna, and that's it, unless it's Friday, uh, then you can collect twice as much because that way you'll have enough for Sabbath, right? Because I don't want you doing any work on the Sabbath, so I'm going to let you collect twice as much manna on Friday so that on Sabbath you can rest the entire day. Um, and, and they're like, cool, all right, great, great. And they did exactly what you and I would do. They tried to collect more than, than the daily amount, right? They were like, what if, what if I just saved a little bit? right? What if, what if I don't, what if it doesn't show up tomorrow? What if, and so they tried to save it and they would get up in the morning and it was rancid. It smelled horrible. It was full of worms, right? It made their tent stink for a week. Uh, and the Lord's like, see, I told you, right? No, you get to, you got to collect it every single day, except Friday. That's the one day you can keep it for two days. But beyond that, it's, it's going to rot and it's going to stink. <laughs> so there's two ways that the Israelites could have experienced this. The first is obviously the way we would, um, every single morning they would wake up with just an overwhelming sense of gratitude. Like, are you kidding me? We didn't have enough faith to follow God into the promised land, but every single morning he provides us manna. It just comes down. All we got to do is pick it up. We can gather it and we can eat it and it, it's sustaining and it, man, it tastes good. It's like honey. 
right? Every single morning for 40 years, they were just filled with overwhelming gratitude and joy at the provision of God. We would have been just like that. The other way this could have gone down um, is, is they could have uh, looked at it and said, you know what, man, this is a pain in the patootie. I mean, seriously, why, why do we have to gather it every single day? Why, why doesn't God uh, give us enough manna for every other day or better yet, every week? Or you know what, this is going to be 40 years, once a year, maybe once a decade, just four times, God. Give us enough manna for our daily decade, right? Why do we got to go out every single day and collect this? And, 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 and think about how much less anxiety I would have, God. Every night I'm wondering if you're going to show up. Every night I'm wondering if there's once again going to be manna on, on the ground. I, man, it would be so much easier if you'd just give us this decade, our daily manna, our decade manna. All right, so here's, here's what I'm going at. Um, and, and let's be real, we'd be much more inclined to be in the second group than the first. Um, at least I would. There would be moments of grumbling and, and complaining and seriously, honey cakes again. I'm getting a little sick of honey cakes. Um, can't, can't we do a little variety, right? Um, but, but here's the thing. The reality of the situation didn't change, depending on how they looked at it, but it changed their experience of the reality. You following me? The reality of the situation was the same, but how they approached it changed their experience of that reality. Some people got up every morning and they were just delighted in gratitude. It expanded their joy. They were full of security. The other was full of grumbling and frustration and angst and worry. It wasn't the reality that changed. It was their experience of the reality. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, we are, by nature, dependent on God. And we are, by the brokenness of, of, of sin, resentful of that dependence. We were designed as creatures to be dependent on our Creator, but we resent that dependence. We hate being dependent. Um, and, and whether we experience joy, gratitude, and security, or angst, anxiety, and frustration, depends on our faith, how we approach this dependency. That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we dig into our prayer. So I'm going to be taking a look we're again at Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read 5 to 18, and you can follow along in your Bibles as I read aloud, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. 
Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, um, today we finally get to the portion of, of the prayer where we get to ask God for stuff, okay? Today we finally get to the part of the prayer where it's like, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, right? Where, where we call this uh, supplication, right? We, we finally get to talk about asking God uh, for, for what we need, what we want, what we hope for um, to, to, to give us stuff, right? All right, if I'm honest, um, which occasionally I am, um, this is usually where I start. A lot of my prayers, probably 90% of my prayers start with supplication. It's usually me showing up and saying, hey, God, I need something. Hey, hey God, I, I, if everything's going great and, 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 and just swimmingly, um, I don't pray a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's so easy not to pray. Why? Because I've got everything I need. What prompts me to pray is when suddenly I need something I can't provide, I have a problem I can't solve, I, I have a desire that is gripping me that, that I don't know how to fulfill, or someone I love is in trouble and I need God to intervene, right? There's, there's something where I need something from God. And, and that, that felt need prompts me to once again approach God. Hey, God, I, I need this thing. I know I'm supposed to show up and worship you and love you, and I, hey, I worship you, I love you, it's all, but I need, I need this right? Supplication is usually where I start. Um, If that's you, I don't want you to feel guilty. Welcome to the club. Uh, I think most of us um, pray a lot more when we have great need and pray a lot less when we don't. Um, But that's not an ideal prayer life. That's not the kind of prayer life that is going to be enriching and fulfilling. It's going to leave us with a lot of joy and refreshment. Jesus is saying, pray like this, right? He's not giving us a, a, a model to a mantra to be repeated, but a model to be followed. He's saying, look, you need to develop a prayer life, a genuine prayer life. So, so you need to intentionally try to create a prayer life where it's not always about asking for stuff, right? Can you imagine a relationship in which somebody always, every 90% of the time you see them, they're like, hey, it's good to see you. By the way, can you? Hey, I'm glad you're here. Could, do you mind if I, can you give me you might have, you know what I'm saying, like pretty soon you're going to feel pretty used by that person because the reality is they are using you and, and often we try to use God. Um, and so that's not an enriching relationship. That's not the kind of relationship that leads to joy and peace. And, and so Jesus is saying if you want a satisfying prayer life, the kind of prayer life that is dynamic and real and vibrant, the kind that gives you energy, gives you hope, leaves you more rested than when you arrived, you need to develop this kind of prayer life. And, and, and we've spent five weeks so far unpacking this passage, right? And, and, and so just a quick review. The first week we talked about how we need to approach God not like the hypocrites, people who put on masks, but we need to approach God with, with a humble um, honesty, right? Not, not showing up pretending and performing, you know, sliding our spiritual resume across the table. Hey, God, aren't you impressed with me today? Or trying to hide our spiritual resume. Man, I really was bad this week, but I still need something, so I'm going to try to show up, right? Now, ho- showing up with humble honesty, knowing that, that in Christ, I've been forgiven for, for my sin, and I am delighted in um, for the ways that I'm like God, right? I can show up honestly because I am honestly accepted. I am fully accepted in Christ, so I don't have to hide, I don't have to perform, I don't have to pretend. I can show up with all of my virtue and all of my vice. I can show up with all of my light and all of my darkness. 
I can show up with, with the, the ways that I'm doing well and the ways that I'm really not. Humble honesty. See, that's the foundation of any genuine relationship. Humble honesty. Showing up with your real face. When you're putting on a mask, nobody gets to know you. You, you block yourself from intimacy. First step is showing up with humble honesty, which allows us the week two to move into um, uh, uh, genuine authenticity. Right? That allows us then to, to, instead of using God as a means to an end, actually approach God as the end. We can come into the presence of God um, and, and instead of trying to manipulate Him to get what we want or trying to, to uh, twist things, um, uh, it allows us to show up to know God instead of use God. Right? And, and when we approach God, the first thing we want to do, Jesus says, is approach with intimacy. Our Father in heaven. He's our, our Father. Right? We approach Him as one who delights in us and loves us, the same way I delight and love my kids. Right? When I see my kids, my heart lights up. When, when I see my kids, I, I have great hope for them. I have great desire for their good. I want to see them prosper and flourish. That's how God thinks about me. Right? He wants me to come into His presence like, like man, you're my dad, my good father. So I come intimately. But I also approach with reverence because hallowed be your name. He, he isn't just my father, he's my God. He is my father and my creator. And so I approach with, with, with deep intimacy and genuine reverence, right? And that allows me to come in with, with both a, a closeness and an intimacy, but also an awe and a worship, right? And, and then uh, I am to approach submissively, right? Your will be done. It doesn't mean I got it all figured out. It doesn't mean I'm submissive in every area of life. It doesn't mean I pretend, right? We sing, you know, I surrender all. No, you don't. Quit lying, right? We don't surrender all. We surrender some. That's a much more accurate song lyric. I surrender some, right? That, that, would, be, that would be more genuine um, because the reality is we're in the process of learning how to submit. And when we come and we say, your will be done, honestly, part of what's happening there is we're saying to God, my will competes with your will. I know that, but I want your will. I, by faith, I know that you're going to tell a better story for my life than, than I would tell for myself. And, and, and so will you help me to want your will? Will you help me to want what you want, to see life in accordance with reality instead of in the way that I imagine it to be for my own glory or my own purpose? Man, your will be done. Align me with your will because by faith I know it's better than mine even when I don't trust it, Right? And then I approach, hopefully, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Right? I realize that, that my greatest hope has already been won, even though it's not fully realized. Right? I live between the two advents. Christ came, the great hero, already won the great victory over sin, death, and hell. He rose from the dead. I, I am a child of the resurrection. I am fully redeemed and forgiven. There's nothing left to be done. There's no victory left to be won. I, my greatest problem has already been solved. My greatest blessing has already been given but I'm not yet living in the fullness of the blessing that has been won. I am awaiting a second advent, right? I'm waiting for the king to return, for him to reestablish his reign over the earth, to set all things in order the way they were meant to be. So, so I have hope for myself and for this world, but my greatest hope is anchored in the age to come when, when Christ returns, right? And, and the kingdom comes, right? So, so I approach in hope. Jesus says now, right? You approach God humbly, authentically, personally, with raw and on reverence. You approach, you know, submitting yourself and, and, and in hope. Now, now you're ready to ask for what you need. Now you're ready for supplication. 
Because, because all of that, you go through that process of, of, of mentally going through that process and moving your heart into that space, it changes your prayers, right? It changes what you ask for, what you need, and it, it enables you to do something remarkable. It enables you to pray for your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. That is a profoundly challenging prayer. Uh, I think, honestly, most of us don't understand how challenging it is. It's so simple. It's so basic. It's so humble, right? Jesus is like, this is how I want you to pray. I want you to ask for your bread, right? Nothing sexy about that, right? Not not, not asking you to, to, to give us this day our daily filet mignon. I like that. No, daily for bread. In the Middle East, when, when Jesus was teaching this, bread would have been a staple of their diets. I know some of you are on keto and you're like, no, I don't need my daily bread. But, but you know, what he's saying is, is the most humble and basic parts of your survival. Right? Every single day they make this incredible bread called naan. Right? They get up early, they mix the ingredients, they build the fire, they put the bread on the side of the oven, and when it falls off, it's perfectly baked. Um, and every meal, there are other things at the meal, right? They've got rice, and they've got local produce, and they've got, they've got um, vegetables. And, and, and if it's big celebrations, sometimes they'll have lamb, right? I'm describing my meals in Kyrgyzstan when I was there. Uh, it was an incredible opportunity to get a small taste of what this part of the world was like, right? But every meal, they had none. They have a saying there, bread is life. It was the basic, most humble building block of, of their diet, of their survival. Pray daily for your daily bread. So what would that mean for us, right? What does that mean for us? Because we don't necessarily pray daily for our daily bread. I've got a loaf of bread that miraculously lasts a month after I open it. I don't know how that happens. Probably isn't anything good. Um, but, you know, I got enough food to, to last me a couple months in my house. I mean, just being real, I'm canned food. Holy cow, I could probably go six months if I was really parsimonious, right? What does it mean to pray for my daily bread? It means that you are focused on the humble, basic building blocks of, of survival and flourishing. Give us this day our daily food, even though you already have it. Give us this day our daily housing so I can be protected from the elements. Give us this day our daily clothing, right? Give us this day our daily transportation. Give us this day our daily job. Give us this day our daily energy so that I can do this day. Give us this day our daily, you know, like I'm just struggling against the sin. Give me this day my daily self-control just today, right? It, it, is, it is the basic fundamental building blocks of survival. Jesus is saying focus on the humble essentials, not the extravagant extras. Pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need for today to be alive to be productive, to be secure, to be in community. Now, here's the thing. I think we like that prayer just fine as long as we have enough for our daily week or our daily month or our daily year. What we really hate is when we have to pray that prayer every day because we literally need God to show up every single day. We hate it. We hate it. Just like the Israelites hated it with the manna right? Give us this decade, our decade of manna, right? 
No, we, we hate it. You know why we hate it? Because we hate dependency. We want, we want Jesus to show up and forgive us of our sins and, and to, to make us right with God and, and to, to give us a promise of a, of a future blessing. We want God to do all this. And then we, we, then we want God to give us enough that we no longer need Him. That's what we really want. Will you just give me enough that I don't feel insecure, that I don't feel exposed, that I don't feel weak? Will you, man, God, you'd be doing me a big favor. My anxiety level would really drop. If you let me win the lotto, right? Give me this life, what I need for this life. And then I'll really, God, I'll really hope for the life to come, I promise, right? No, Jesus says, no, no, no. Give us this day our daily bread. Like the Israelites, we want to collect enough manna that we don't need to worry. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be dependent in faith on God, right? Thank you, God, for your blessing. Now give me enough that I... I no longer need you, right? Uh, my life would be so much easier if I just had everything I needed for tomorrow, <laughs> today. Um, and we resent that God keeps us dependent. What ends up happening is we feel this anxiety. We feel frustrated. We, we're, we, feel, like, we, we feel like God's withholding, right? Man, my, my, my stocks crashed. My 401k tanked. How in the world am I going to retire? right? Something went wrong with my job, and, 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 and now I'm making, you know, 20% less than I was, and, and we just bought a car, and, and how am I going to, you know, how am I going to survive, and how am I going to make ends meet, and this thing just came up, and, and, and now all of a sudden, like, we, we, my energy is being sapped by this new relationship or this, this change in the way things were, and I'm just exhausted, and I don't know how I'm ever going to survive. Why? Why are you allowing these things to happen? Why are you withholding your good? All right, you guys, we are um, dependent on God. That, that can't change. We can resent it. We can hate it. We can be frustrated with it, but it can't change. It's like a plant. A plant is absolutely dependent on the sun. How often does it need the sun? Every day. Right? Can you imagine a plant growing resentful of its dependence on the sun? Like every single night, you know, it's like, there he goes again! I don't know if he'll be back. What if tomorrow it's cloudy? I don't, I can't sleep for all the anxiety. I resent the sun. Why can't he just be here all the time? Why can't I just be the sun? If I was just the sun, I wouldn't be dependent on the sun. I mean, it's just ridiculous. We are designed to be dependent on God like a plant is dependent on the sun. It's ridiculous for us to want anything else. It's the only way reality works. But we want to live under the illusion that we don't need God, that somehow we're more secure without God, that somehow we can take care of ourselves and provide for ourselves and give ourselves our own security and create our own purpose. We really, really hate it when we actually have to depend on God. When we have to come back every day and ask once again in that day for God to give us this day our daily bread. But you know, in the same way, the daily manna was an act of grace to the Israelites in the wilderness. These trials that come into our lives, these reminders of our limitations are in fact great blessings to us. Because the greatest gift God gives us is not our daily bread. 
It's the sunshine of His presence. It, it, it is the intimacy of His love. It is His affirming and loving and secure presence. And, and the reality is, is if we felt like we didn't need Him, we would no longer draw near to Him. And when we stopped drawing near to Him, we would shrivel and die even as we grew rich and fat. We need God more than we need the things God gives. And by coming to Him every day, asking Him for our daily bread, we are once again brought near to the source of life. It is an act of grace where God invites us back daily to ask this day for our daily bread. Now, does this mean that it's wrong to ask for more than our daily bread? Like, like... Is it, is it wrong to ask for more than the basic, humble essentials of life? I don't think so. You know, I don't, you got a house. That's an essential of life, but you're stepping on each other because it's so small and your family has grown. I don't think it's wrong to ask God for a bigger house. Right? You got a car, but the heater quit. You're having to wear 14 layers on your way to work, right? I don't think it's wrong to ask God for a car with a heater, right? I, I don't think it's wrong. To, I don't think it's wrong to ask God for a vacation. I don't think it's God, wrong to ask God for a promotion or a raise. I don't think it's wrong to ask for any of these things, but I think it's wrong to ask for less than your daily bread. You can ask for more than your daily bread, but you cannot ask for less. It is essential that we learn every day to ask God for our daily bread daily. You can ask for more, but Jesus is saying you can't ask for less. It's bad for your heart. It's bad for your heart. It is important for you to ask for your daily bread daily. There are three good things, or thousands of good things this will do for us. Three things I'm going to point out this morning. First, if you're in a season of prosperity, if things are going well in your life, your 401k is, is doing great, you just got your promotion, you know, you got your corner office, your spouse actually likes you, you know, your kids smile when they see you, right? Things are going well, right? You're living, you're, living in, you're living in the prosperity of, man, it's like, yeah, milk and honey, milk and honey, right? If you're in prosperity, continuing to ask God daily for your daily bread is going to increase your gratitude and free you into generosity, okay? Let's be honest. Um, most of us don't need to pray for our daily bread. Most of us have plenty of food. Most of us have plenty of clothing. Most of us have a house. Most of us, most of us have what we need, right? We have everything we need, and, and, and the re what that means is most of us are really just working for what we want, right? I have a house, but I, I want a nicer house. I have a kitchen, but I want Corian countertops, right? Nothing wrong with Corian countertops. If you want Corian countertops, work for them, pay for them. That's awesome, right? But what ends up happening is we start mistaking our wants for our needs, we start mistaking the things that aren't essential for life and we start thinking of them as if they were. If I could just get that thing, then I'd be happy. If I could just get that, that experience, if I could just have that, and what ends up happening is, is we adopt the mindset of this world, which basically says, keep what you have and add a little more. And happiness is going to come when you get a little more. And so you keep getting a little more and a little more and a little more, and, and it never takes you where you want to go. It never gives you what you want to have. You never have the experience. What ends up happening is you grow fat on your opulence and you grow small in your joy. Listen, prosperity is an incredible danger 
to our spirit because it, make us, make us, it can make us prideful like we don't need God. Prosperity can be toxic to our souls. Right? It, it is a huge blessing when we have more than we need. It's a huge blessing when we have more than we need. But the danger is, is that we start to depend on what we have instead of the God who gave it. Right? We, start, we start taking our daily bread for granted and forget that it is the daily grace of God that equips us to have that daily bread. We start looking toward our income and our jobs and our self-security and, and all these things, and, 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 and we grow prideful. And we start thinking, it was by the strength of my hand that I have built this life. Right? It was, it was by the intelligible, I can't even speak, the incredible skill of my, of my spirit that I have, that I have worked these words. Um, it, it, is, it is by um, the broad intelligence of my mind. Right? I'm, I'm just a normal guy with, you know, special gifts. And it is by the exercise of these gifts, by the, the uh, application of my intelligence, by, by the diligent effort of my hand that I have built this kingdom over which I now reign. Look at my life, because in it you see the glory of me. Right? There, there is a subtle inclination to start thinking, I have this good life because I've done these good things. I have this good life because I worked hard. I have this good life because I achieved well. I have this good life because I'm smarter than the average Joe, right? You start thinking that, 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 man, I did this. I provided for me. And what ends up happening is when you grow prideful in your spirit about yourself, you, you grow condemning toward people who have less. You'll start subtly looking at others and thinking, you don't have what I have because you're not like me. You're not as smart as me. You don't work as hard as me. You're not as disciplined as me. Right? You're like the parent who has the first child, and your child is perfect. Right? You go out in public, and, and they don't scream. Right? You put them in their car seat, and they're like, yes, please. Right? You, you do all these things, and you look at these other parents, and you're like, if you were just more like me, right? my child's perfect. You should be perfect like me. And then you have child number two, and you are suddenly humbled. Because child number two is everything child number one was not. And you realize that it wasn't because you were a brilliant parent. It was because you had an abnormal child. Right? And what you were taking so much credit for was, in fact, nothing you did. Right? Your second child is, is, is a little demon. And all of a sudden, you're like, man, I understand why people pulled out their hair. I understand why they yelled in the grocery store. I understand why that, that you know. And all of a sudden, you're looking around going, okay, maybe I'm not better than you. Right? See, what ends up happening is this pride and this, this toxic shame comes in and we start thinking we're better than we are. And, and when we don't do well, we, we condemn ourselves because we feel like we've failed and, and all of our worth is gone. It is toxic. It, improves, it, it produces entitlement and it reduces joy. Listen to me. Learning to ask for your daily bread daily humbles you in your prosperity. And it allows you to actually be grateful for the daily grace of God instead of taking that grace for granted. It reminds you of the daily gifts of God that you are tempted to overlook. And it will expand your gratitude, which will increase your joy. All right, take a look at this video. I saw this. I thought it was a good illustration, and it's kind of funny.
All right. We didn't make that video. Uh, I stole it. Um, it's a church down in North Carolina, I think, made that. It was pretty awesome. But, but the point is this. When we learn to give thanks daily for our daily bread, we stop taking for granted the grace of God that is already present in our lives. It increases our joy and our gratitude because we actually see the daily presence of God in the midst of our affluence. The second thing, when things are going well, when things are going well, when we're prosperous, it not only increases our experience of, of gratitude, it increases our experience of generosity. When we adopt the mindset of the world, I need to keep what I have and get more in order to be happy, it kills our generosity. We're not able to give even from our surplus to others because we feel like we're being reduced, that, that somehow we're being threatened and, and, and challenged. Listen, it is a sacred honor to be given more than I need so that I can share it with others who have need. Right? It is God who gives me what I need. It is God who prospers the work of my hand. You're like, Steve, I work hard, man. I put in all the effort. I get up early. Yeah, I know. But who gave you your brain? Who gave you your energy? Who gave you your drive? Who gave you the opportunities that are around you? And then who prospered those efforts? It is by the grace of God you use the gifts of God to gain the blessing of God. God, God is giving it to you. Yes, He's giving it to you through the agency of your hard work. But it's still a grace. Some of the hardest working people I know are people in poverty that are trapped by systemic structures of poverty, and they work incredibly hard. But, but they don't have the same advantages. They weren't born in the same place. They weren't given the same structures. They work incredibly hard, but, but through their effort, they don't get the same results. Some people are born on third, and they take credit for, being, for hitting a triple, right? It's recognizing, man, what I have is a gift. What I've been given is grace. I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but this prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't say, give me this day my daily bread, which is how I think we tend to pray it. We're individualistic Westerners, Americans. We, we think very, very much about my kingdom, my gain, my work, my money. Give me this day my daily bread. This is a communal prayer, not an individual prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. This, this prayer is a prayer of community, right? The Scripture calls us a family, right? Even if you're an individualist, I hope that you're not that much of an individualist, like, give me this day my daily bread. Hey, Daddy, I'm hungry. Pray your own prayer, kid. I got my daily bread, four eggs. Why don't you pray? God will give you something, right? No, when I, when I pray, even as, a, even as a Westerner, give me this day my daily bread, I'm usually thinking about my family, right? My kids, my we think communally. We just draw that circle really, really tight, right? Scripturally, believers, we're a family, right? Give us this day our daily bread. We are a, a family, right? The, the, the Scripture calls us a body, right? The church is a, a body. Different members come together to make up a single body. Can you imagine how ridiculous it would be if, if one member of the body started resenting another member, right? Like the hands, starting resenting the stomach. We do all the work. We do all the productivity. We've got all the calluses. What do you do? You just take and take and take. Like literally, that's all you do. Keep feeding you. I'm, no, I'm going to keep it for me. I do the work. I keep the gain. That's, that's like, I don't know, biblical or something, right? He let he who works, I don't know, keep everything he makes, right? Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? 
Um, you, you guys, we're, we're a body. And what ends up happening is, is when we become prideful, we start focusing on the ways we contribute, and we don't notice the ways we need, and we start despising the way other people contribute because they don't contribute in the same way. The stomach actually contributes in incredibly important ways. It's just very, very different than the hands. And, and if the hands grow prideful in the way they contribute, and, and, they, and they say, you can't contribute the same way I do, therefore I will despise you, th- then we undermine the value of the entire body. Right? We are, let, give us this day our daily bread. Right? In, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about taking up an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. They were in crisis, and, and the Corinthians had probably never met the Christians in Jerusalem. There, were, there was a cultural divide. There was a racial divide. There was a gulf of water between them. And, and, um, and, and more than likely, it was like, why would, I give up my, why would I give up my money for their good? Why would I sacrifice for them? I don't even know them. And, and Paul's like, you're going to do it because it's good for you. And he uses the illustration of manna. He says, look, everybody got up in the morning. Some collected a lot, some collected a little, but it all went in one pot. You know why? Because it was all going to spoil by the next day anyway. Nobody went hungry. Everybody took what they needed. Paul says that. That's how this works. God gives grace to all of us, and, and, and by grace, some collect a lot, and by grace, others collect a little. And some of you are like, Steve, this really sounds like, I don't know, socialism right now. I don't think I'm tracking with you. Okay, I'm not talking about socialism. I'm, I'm not talking about forced equality. I'm not talking about you having to sacrifice your essentials so that somebody else can be enriched. I'm saying you have been given more than you need, and by grace, you are, you are called by God to move in generosity to meet other people's needs, not to judge them in their need. Not to look down on them in their need, not to feel superior to them in their need, but to recognize that God has enriched you so that others might be taken care of in the same way He's enriched them to meet your needs in your time of need. At the end of the chapter, in uh, 2 Corinthians 9-11, put this one on the screen behind me, he concludes his argument by saying this, you will be enriched in every way. Why? So you can be generous in every way. God has given you more than you need, not so you can hoard it for your own good, your own glory, and your own pleasure, but so that you can move out in generosity and meet other people's needs. And some of you are terrified of that because that sounds so countercultural. It sounds, in order for me to be happy, I need to keep what I have and get more. That's what the world tells me. That's what I believe. That's not what God says. I don't know if you, you remember Jesus said really, really crazy stuff. Like one time Jesus said it is better to give than receive. We don't believe that. Now, like literally, it's better to give than to receive. Like you'll actually have more joy. The boundaries of your joy, the boundaries of your security, the boundaries of of your, you, you will be better off. It is better to give than to receive. When God enriches you for generosity, that is a sacred honor and a huge blessing. And when you refuse to move into the flow of generosity... You grow fat on your stuff, and you grow small in your joy. God enriches you in every way so that you can be generous in every way, which through us will produce a thanksgiving to God. In other words, there's a harvest of gratitude, a harvest of gratitude, right? We want a harvest, but we want a harvest of personal security. We want a harvest of personal pleasure. We want a harvest of of personal glory. And, And God is saying there's a better harvest, I don't know about you, but I want to be in a community that is rich in gratitude. 
I want to be with people who are incredibly thankful for God and thankful for the people around them. I want to be in a community that, that I know that when I'm in crisis, when something goes wrong, I'm not going to be judged, I'm going to be loved. When I have a need, that need is going to be met. I want to be part of a community that, that, that is moving toward generosity, not pulling back in selfishness and self-comparison. That's a community that's rich. When I get my daily bread, I want to eat it with others. I don't want to eat it in isolation. Here I am with my daily bread. Look how great I am. That's lonely bread. I want a table rich with love. I want people around me who love me and know me and, and will meet me in my need as I meet them in my need, in their need, right? You need a car. I got an extra. Here's a car. You need housing. You're in a crisis right now. You know what? I got an extra room. It's going to be really inconvenient. It's going to be uncomfortable for all of us. But you know what? You can live here. God enriches us so that we can move out in generosity and be a blessing to others. Listen to me. There is blessing in the sacrifice that you will not gain by keeping yourself safe and secure and comfortable. You reduce the harvest of your joy when you undermine the movement of grace. God enriches you so that you might enrich others. When you pray daily in your prosperity for your daily bread, it will free you into generosity. It'll refocus you on what you need instead of on what you want. It'll refocus you on what is truly valuable instead of what you think by illusion is valuable. It will actually free you to recognize, I have what I need. I don't need that to be happy, but you need this to live. And I will by joy sacrifice that you might be enriched. And I am enriched in the process. We create a community that is bountiful in the harvest of gratitude. We need to give thanks daily for our daily bread. Now, what if you're not in prosperity? What if you're in crisis? What if you literally are um, in a spot where you just have um, too, month, too much month at the end of the check? You're living month to month, maybe even week to week, potentially day to day. Most people in our culture aren't, but, but just in that spot, man, you just can't get ahead. There are legitimate needs that are going unmet. There are, there are legitimate things that, that your family needs that you simply can't afford, you can't do, because you, you are just, it, I don't know if you guys know this, it's incredibly expensive to be poor in a wealthy nation. Just the basics of life are so expensive here. That you can have a good job that pays pretty well and you're still not going to be able to afford all the things that we consider essential for a, for, a, for a good life, right? It's expensive to be poor in a rich nation. And some of you are there. You're struggling with that. For others of you, it's not that. It, it's that you were doing fine, but a crisis came in. Um, something came in and, and um, kind of knocked you sideways, Right? There was an accident, a sickness, a life change that maybe it's not financial, maybe it's time or personal or you know, something happened and, and what you had is no longer what you have. Right? There's a layoff, there was, a, there was a, a something came in and, 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 and all of a sudden there's a catastrophic change and you, you actually have to pray for your daily bread. You're in that spot. Praying for your daily bread daily, listen to me, will be a powerful way to help you navigate these turbulent waters. 
when you're in crisis. Praying for your daily bread daily will reconnect you with your source of security, will root you in the rich ground of joy, and will actually calm your anxiety. You know why? Because it'll focus in, you on your needs instead of your wants. Instead of, instead of, you know, instead of being focused on all the things you want and you can't have, it'll refocus you on the things that you need. Right? And, and you'll ask for your daily bread daily. And when God gives you that daily bread daily, you're actually going to feel joy instead of resentment that you don't have all the things that you used to want. It's going to focus you on, on, on what you have instead of on what you lost. Sometimes we are our own worst enemies because we focus on all the things we used to have, but now this catastrophic change came and, and we can no longer have those things and we just resent it. And so we miss out on all of the beautiful joy that can come from our daily manna daily. But we're not even paying attention to that because it's like, well, I used to have daily manna, but I also used to have daily quail. I used to have daily filet mignon. I used to have daily lobster, and now I just have daily manna, and I hate that. Right? When, when we ask for our daily bread daily, it, it, it shifts our focus from what we lost to what we have, from what used to be to what is, from what we used to lean on as the source of our blessing to our true blessing. When we pray for our daily bread daily, when we're in crisis, it focuses us on our needs, but it also focuses on the needs of those that are with us. Because seldom are you in crisis alone. Usually when you hit that crisis, you're in crisis with others. And one of the worst things that happens during that season is, is we resent that we lost what we used to have. We resent that now we feel exposed and insecure. We resent the anxiety. And pretty soon we start to resent each other. And we start comparing our suffering to the suffering around us. You're not suffering like I'm suffering. You're not paying the same price I'm paying. You're taking more of the benefit and I'm taking more of the liability. And what ends up happening is that it creates a toxic bitterness at the heart of your relationships. Giving thanks for your daily bread daily allows you to, to share the community of suffering instead of moving into the competition of who's suffering more. When you're praying, man, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. That's a communal prayer. It allows you to pray for each other in our suffering instead of resenting each other in our suffering. It allows you to be for each other instead of competing with each other. When we focus on our asking God for our daily bread daily, it allows us to focus on the immediate need and not the long-term problem, which is a blessing. So I have a dog, Bear. Uh, he's a lab. Um, he's an incredible dog. Um, incredibly annoying. Um, he, he, he is probably one of the most obedient dogs, obedient dogs I've ever had. He, 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 he's one of those dogs who wants to do what I want him to do. So he's easy to voice train. Best thing that can happen is when I let him off the leash, especially when he was younger, and I could let him off the leash because I could, I could call him, he would be back, right? And, and, if, and if he could figure out what I wanted, he'd go do it. Right? Like if I could get it, like, go, 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 go fetch that thing. He would go get it, right? He's a retriever, and he, he just is wired to do it. He loves it. Now that he's old, that has just shifted to an obsessive attention to me, which is annoying. 
because every time I turn around, I'm tripping over him. He's just always right here. Um, but here's the thing. When, when he was younger, I couldn't always let him off the leash. Sometimes I would take him for walks, and I had to keep him on the leash because, you know, Edwardsville. And, and so, you know, we're walking down the bike trail, and he has so much energy, he is all the way out at the front. I mean, he is just pulling me. He's like, let's go, let's go. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And I'm like, come on, come, come on, you know, keep popping it. Pay attention to me, slow down a little bit. I can't go that fast. I don't want to go that fast. You need, you're with me, right? You need to pay attention to me. And what ended up happening is we're walking along the trail. He would look down the trail and he would see that there was a Y. And I don't always walk the same way when I, when I take the dogs for a walk. Sometimes I go this way, sometimes I go that way. And so he would be like, which way are we going to go? 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 And I could actually see him becoming more and more agitated, right? I'd be like, dude, 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 bear, bear, we're going to go left. Bear, we're going left, left, up there, we're going left. And, and, and he didn't understand. And, and he would just grow agitated. And pretty soon he would actually start spinning in front of me because he's like left, right, left, right. And then he'd spin and, and he was paying attention to me and he's paying attention. I'm like, dude, you're driving me crazy. We do the same thing with God. Right? You know how I fixed it? I would have to pull him in on a short leash. So he was right next to me. He hated it. Because he loves to run. He loves freedom. He loves, he, he doesn't like being constrained. He doesn't like being controlled. He doesn't, he doesn't like it. But you know what happened? He was no longer anxious. And he calmed down. You know why? Because his attention shifted from everything down there to me. He wasn't worried about which way we were going to go on the trail anymore because he was watching me. And when he was watching me, all he knew was I just need to be next to you. He wasn't worried about, about what choice I was going to make down there because he was focused on what's happening right here. When we ask God daily for our daily bread, it limits our scope of view. Instead of becoming obsessed with problems that we don't know how to solve and we can't solve yet, it allows us to focus on what does it mean to be obedient today? What does it mean to walk with my Savior today? What does it mean to have my needs met today? Because I don't know if you've realized this yet, but God doesn't tell you which way you're going to go. God, God doesn't part the Red Sea until your foot's ready to drop into it. You're not doing yourself any favors by, by 10 miles out from the Red Sea getting all stressed about it. God's like, dude, 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 calm down. Calm down. Come back here. Pay attention to me. Pay attention to me. We'll deal with that when we get to it. Calm down. Calm down. Right? And he pulls us in. And sometimes that's what's happening in the trials and the struggles in our lives. It is God pulling us in so that we will pay attention to him. It is a blessing. It is a blessing. Because he's going to solve it. He's already on the other side of the problem. He's the God over the storm. Right? You're not God. You're dependent on God. So all you need to do is find peace and in, in your walk with God. We find security instead of fear, gratitude instead of entitlement. Listen to me. If you're in, in, in that place of crisis, you need to learn how to ask God daily for your daily bread and stay focused. Stay focused. And when you find yourself getting anxious about the future, once again come back and ask God for your daily bread daily. Lord, bless me today. Give me what I need today. How have you blessed me today? How can I be thankful today? How can I? And, and when you do that, it'll counteract the anxiety of all the open-ended problems you don't know how to solve. It'll give you comfort in your struggle and strength in your trial. One final point. In all cases, 
whether you're in prosperity or in struggle. When, when we learn to pray like this, it strengthens our faith and it increases our sense of security across the board. It increases our faith and it increases our sense of security. Listen, security doesn't come from having it all. Security comes from walking with the one who does. Joy doesn't come from experiencing it all. It comes from the one uh, in whom is everything we want to experience. He's the one we desire. He's the blessing, not the things that he gives. He himself, the blessings come with him, but he is the greatest blessing, right? Joy doesn't come from me getting my way. Joy comes from me resting and knowing that his way is better than mine, that my greatest problem has been solved. My greatest blessing has already been given. He has already paid the supreme price. I can trust him with all the things I can't control. I can trust him. If he just gives me the energy I need for today, I can trust him tomorrow for tomorrow. Today, today, I just need my daily bread. Today. He keeps us anchored. Keeps us anchored. Anchored to our joy. Anchored to our security. Which frees us into even generosity in our suffering. Sometimes the most joyful people are the people that are in trial. Because they've learned man, I trust him and I'm dependent on him and he's trustworthy. Sometimes the most generous people I meet are the people with the least because they are the most free knowing that God provides their daily needs daily. They're not fearful. They're not self-protective. They're not. This is good for us. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. All right, I'm going to wrap us up there for today. Um, we're going to take our special offering. So let me, again, explain to you what this is, why we're doing it, and then we're going to move into our time of response and share communion. Um, as I've explained previously, our special offering, we do this once a year at the end of the year. And, and what we do is we target a way we want to be generous, that our budget doesn't equip us to be generous, or a problem we want to solve that our budget doesn't equip us to solve. And there are a couple areas we focused on with this special offering. The first are the front steps. The front steps have seen more traffic um, over the last two years, more than likely than they saw in the previous 50 years. Um, and they're, they're showing it. They're starting to, to wear. Now, they're still safe, but it's only a matter of time before those edges start chipping away. And when the edges chip away, they will become dangerous and unsafe, um, and, and especially in inclement weather. Um, and so we need to replace those, both for our safety, but also for the safety of our families and, and our guests, and, and honestly, for our children and our children's children, right? We want this building to continue to be a source of blessing long after we're gone. And so this is an investment into the security and blessing of, of our ability to stay on mission. Um, secondly, we want to invest into um, local and regional partnerships, right? We have given tens of thousands of dollars away, uh, and we want to do that again. We want to give money to, to um, R3 in East St. Louis. They're, they're doing job training in an area of extreme poverty so that, so that people understand and, and have the education necessary and, in fact, are equipped with the skills and the tools necessary uh, to learn how to work their way out of poverty and, and to, to come alongside them and build relationships with them, not just throw money at them, but actually walk with them and, and, and seek to be a blessing to them, uh, to allow them to walk in the strength that God has given them. Um, we also want to partner with Restore Network, which is a network we've already partnered with where, uh, for ad adoptive and foster care uh, in Illinois, right? When, when you have kids that are in crisis, we want, we want people trained. We want people available. We, we want blessings to be present, right? So, so that we can help 
meet them in that suffering, right? It's not going to remove the suffering, but it absolutely can equip us to walk with them in it and be a blessing to children who otherwise um, are, are just stuck in the crisis, right? So, so this allows us to continue partnering with um, some of these vital regional partnerships. It also allows us to want to set aside 10000 for international mission experience. We have sent um, dozens, um, many, many, on, on mission experiences, both to East Asia and now uh, partnering with, with Honduras. We have 18 people going to Honduras in March to do medical mission work and to visit um, our kids with Compassion International. Um, we want to set 10,000 to continue to equip our, our people to go on these short-term missions and for us to be a blessing in those communities, to solve problems and to be generous in those communities. Um, so totally, we're, we're looking to raise $40,000 um, from this offering to go into these, into these needs. That's a, that's a pretty aggressive goal. It's going to require all of us. Um, and, and so here's my request is that you'll pray, first of all, that God will move us to generosity and, and allow us to be generous in these ways. But secondly, to ask, how, how would God have me be involved, right? How, how would God have me sacrifice um, to help make this happen? Because for us to do it, it's going to require all of us. Um, and so ask God, right? Because here's the thing, as you sacrifice and give, you are blessed, right? God, God gives to you so that you can give. And, and one of the reasons I love this, and we do this every year, uh, it not only allows us to do things that are really, really cool and be blessing in ways that is encouraging, it's good for us. It is good for us to be generous. It is good for us to sacrifice and move together to do something together that we can't do on our own. It changes our culture. It enriches our experience. And so I'm jealous for that. I, I, when Paul said to the Corinthians, give to this offering because it is good for you, man, I get that. I want that for us. I want us to be rich in generosity. So, so pray with me that the Lord will equip us to meet this need, to do these things, um, and then ask, how would the Lord have you sacrifice to be part of it? Okay? Let me pray for us. Um, we'll continue taking the offering, by the way, through the end of the year. So if you're not prepared this morning for this, uh, you have until the end of the year to give to this uh, special offering. Um, we're going to announce what, what we've collected uh, at our Trailhead United, which will be uh, in, in January when we do a single service where the entire church, all three services, come together into a single space for a celebration. Um, Lord willing, we're going to be doing that at the high school again this year. More information about that later. But you have until the end of the year uh, to give to this special offering. Um, so let me pray for us. We'll take our offering, and then we'll share communion together. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are a God who meets us daily, that you delight in, in daily meeting our daily needs. That, that you aren't put off. You are the sovereign creator God of the universe, the all-powerful, the all all-glorious one, and yet you love it, you delight in it when we come to you and ask you for the most humble and basic things in our lives because it acknowledges that you're the giver of all good gifts, that you are the son, and, and, and we thrive purely in the radiance of your presence. You are the giver of life, and, and we grow in life simply from basking in the presence of your love and in the outpouring of your goodness. So Lord, I, I pray that you would shape us to be a people that are, that are bold in our humility, that we would be bold in asking that our daily uh, needs would be met, that we would be bold in our generosity, using the surplus of what we have to enrich others and to bless them in their need, that we would be bold when we have need to actually invite others in to meet us in that need. That we would be bold in faith, knowing that in the end, it's not about our personal glory, it's about yours. And that we find our greatest joy 
when your kingdom comes, when your will is done. So Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And I pray, Lord, that you'll bless this special offering as we take it, that it might be a rich and profound blessing to many, to people we know, to ourselves, but even to people we don't know, to people here, people in the future, people around the world, that they might be enriched. So bless this, Lord. You guys, take, we'll go ahead and take our special offering. We'll share communion in a moment.